When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody, into the ESPN FC studios for this, the latest edition of the show. Alongside Craig Burley, Shaka Hislop, I'm Sebastian Salazar. Great to have you along with us. In just a little bit, we'll be hearing from both Gab Marcotti and Don Hutchison. But let's start with the type of news you hate to start with during an international break, and that is injury news. Real Madrid confirming on Saturday that Vinicius Jr. will be sidelined with a hamstring injury suffered while on international duty with Brazil. Uh, sources telling ESPN Vinny's going to miss around two and a half months. The 23-year-old had six goals, four assists for Real Madrid across all comps this season. It's bad news for Vinicius Jr., bad news for Brazil, worse news for Real Madrid. Their injury list continues to grow. Also during this international break, Eduardo Camavinga, Serious knee injury for him, training with France. He's out for months. Jude Bellingham still on the mend with the shoulder. Uh, plus, look at the goalies there, both Thibaut Courtois and Kepa uh, on the list. Nothing short of a crisis there for Real Madrid. Welcome into the show, our good friend and colleague, uh, Gab Marcotti. But we'll start it here in the studio. Craig, this Vinny Jr. injury, just how big a blow is it for Real Madrid? Do you think anybody's thinking now, gosh, I wish we hadn't let Eden Hazard go? Uh, no. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. We're no. not... We're, we're, we're at quite a, an, an injury-strong position with Real Madrid, but we've not quite got that far. Uh, this is huge. Uh, you know, you, we saw that list of injuries there. We know Bellingham's out short-term. Uh, we know there's a heavy reliance on Vinicius Jr. and Rodrigo to play through the middle. Hoslo has played some games. He's probably going to have to play a lot more now. Rodrigo certainly has been the weaker of the partnership up front and has, has had some criticism. So that's more pressure on him, more pressure on Bellingham. Uh, and allied to that, you know, Camavinga's out, Chiuameni's already out. Uh, we've seen already this season when Real Madrid have had to play Kroos and Modric, uh, when Ancelotti had, was forced, not forced to do it, but did it in the Madrid derby. It was, it was horrible. And uh, as good of players as they are, it is crystal clear it is difficult to shoehorn those two in unless it's a game where they're just completely superior. So this has got ramifications uh, all the way through the team. I, I don't know if it's the same hamstring that he did. Which it's seems not. To, it's the other leg. Um, one where and they it, stup- and this is a more serious injury. The than one where they stupidly put him back on the field with a bit yeah. of tape and he went for a run and he had to come off and he was out. So clearly he's got issues across the board on, on both hamstrings. So it, it is big because we've sat here and we've said, you know, if the goals dry up for Bellingham, who's going to produce the goods? Can these two do it, Vinicius and Rodrigo? They've started to look better as a partnership, but now obviously he's out. The whole thing for Ancelotti is it, it, just going to change. They have got I'm going to say a relatively soft schedule coming mm-hmm. up. They've got obviously some Champions League games. One of them is Union Berlin. Uh, they've got Betis. They haven't got the most difficult of schedule, but still, it's a big blow for them. Yeah. Shaq, I mean, we look at this schedule. Maybe they could handle this. But the goal, obviously, Champions League, La Liga. Do you think these injuries could derail Real Madrid's season? 
Listen, I, I think as long as Vinicius Jr. comes back 100% um, in that 8 to 10 weeks when, when the season gets really meaningful, if we can rediscover that partnership with Rodrigo, which I'm, I'm with Craig, that it was really starting to take shape. Um, it may not be all that damaging, whether Girona can continue the form that, that they're showing early this season uh, through the long term. We'll have to wait to see. Barcelona, while they're grinding on results, not pulling up trees in terms of performances themselves. So maybe they can cope. Um, but this is for, for a, a longer term in terms of how does this continue to impact Vinicius Jr.? What exactly is going on within Real Madrid for, for all these injuries? Um, this surely cannot continue. As Ali pointed out yesterday, the doctor already fired. Those are some of the, some of the longer-term questions. Can they cope with, with this eight to ten weeks? Yes. If when he comes back, everything just falls nicely into place. One of the salvations could be, Shaq mentioned Girona. That's a great story. Will it continue? It, it could, but it's... it's surely going to hit some bumps in the road. And if it does that, the other question for Real Madrid is, are Barcelona going to put a 8-10 to 10 winning game streak together? And it doesn't look likely, if we're being honest about it. Yeah, they've got some results recently, but they played really poorly. And then you look at Atleti, who have been in decent form, did lose to uh, Las Palmas, uh, but certainly have the best front pairing in the league at the moment in Griezmann and Morata. So, there may be some salvation that nobody's out there in La Liga saying, right, we're going to run away with this, but they're still going to have to pick up enough results. Look, they have the right man in charge to deal with this situation. Mm -hmm. They brought Hosselu in to beef up the squad. Uh, so he's going to probably have to play a, a big part over the next couple of months. Mm. Uh, Gab, do you think Real Madrid will have to dip into the January transfer window here to overcome all these injuries, or is the squad deep enough to overcome it on its own? I think they'll probably want to. I mean, you know, one guy we didn't mention is Brian Diaz. Uh, I, I think obviously this is where he needs to he needs to step up. And as, as Craig said, short term, I don't think that um, those injuries give you that much trouble given the opposition. You know, they'll still win their group in the Champions League. But it's going forward because, you know, you're asked to play the second part of the season with, with just three front men, uh, Jose Rodrigo Vinicius. And Vinicius already going down twice now uh two injuries i don't i, I think it's it, it's too thin a margin and you know whether it's a loan move or, or or something else uh i just think you need another body uh in the mix mm. uh vinicius jr probably will be back in time for the knockout rounds of the champions league if we go off the current uh, timetable for injury return la liga by the way back next friday alaves and granada kicking off match day 14. It's a match day that will feature Barcelona away against Rayo Vallecano on Saturday and Real Madrid away to Cadiz on Sunday. Haaland, De Bruyne, Stevie and Shepard, Spy, Shaka and Naps, all great teammates. But what's the perfect teammate for growing your business? Well, that's Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify makes it easy for you to show up exactly the way you want to. Customize your online store to your style with gorgeous, flexible templates and powerful tools. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash FC. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash FC now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash FC. Passion, drive and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You got big news out of the Premier League. Everton docked 10 points for breaching financial rules. It's the largest point deduction in Premier League history. The club has said they are going to appeal. But for now, Everton falling from 14th in the table to 19th square in the middle. Uh, of the relegation zone. Gab is still with us, thrilled to join, uh, to welcome to the show, Don Hutchison, who of course played at Everton 1998 through uh, 2000, also captained the club. Uh, Craig, let's start in studio again here, though, with you. What's your reaction to this uh, 10-point deduction? Oh. you think Everton can survive it? Uh, yes, I do, because, shall I use that word gubbins again? Mm. <laughs> because there are, uh, there's a lot of garbage in the bottom of the Premier League, and I think that could be the salvation for them, particularly the teams that came up, Sheffield United, Luton Town uh, and uh, Burnley, who have all struggled to pick up any points. And it looks as if that's going to carry on, whilst actually Everton have started to look a little better in the last uh, few weeks. So I, I think they can. Uh, look, I, I'm not the best person to talk about the nuances of, of, of why this has happened, this investigation that seems to have taken a while and we do have a man on the show tonight that knows a way more about it uh, than me but I think one of the things I've read is it's taken so long that you know teams were relegated last year and there could be legal implications there so it, it really is a mess but one question that pops up for me that pops up for everybody is you're not telling me and all, all you know finances at clubs are different and how they go about it but there's a lot of charges and a lot of finger pointing at a lot of other clubs. And I think Everton, if this holds, will certainly want to make sure that, that parity, mm -hmm. at least parity with other clubs in the decision making who have wronged uh, is met. And, and I think it would only be fair if the likes of City and Chelsea and others deserve to be punished then they must be punished. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not just about teams that are down the bottom of the league. So uh, a bit of a can of worms, but we'll, we'll, we'll see what comes out of this. Craig, you didn't want to go into the nuances of the investigation? Because I, didn't know, I don't know the nuances. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you spared us. Let's get those nuances from Gab Marcotti. And Gab, also, what do you think the ramifications uh, will be for a Manchester City and a Chelsea? So I, I think we need to, to, to make some order, right? So... Chelsea and Manchester City are also being investigated, as we know. They're being investigated for very different things. Uh, Chelsea, um, they actually outed themselves. They, they, they self-reported. Um, they're being investigated for illegal payments uh, that were made anywhere from seven to ten years ago when the club was owned by, by Roman Abramovich. Um, and 
I think in this case, um, you know, Todd Bowley himself said when, when, when they bought the club, um, Todd Bowley's group held back $100 million because when they did their due diligence, they said, wait a minute, we could be facing fines for this. And sure enough, um, there, does, there do appear to be illegal payments there. So given that they came forward themselves, given that they've set money apart from the fines, I, I wouldn't be surprised, uh, I, and given that this was a previous ownership and it was a long time ago, I wouldn't be surprised if Chelsea get out of this one um, with, with with some kind of um, with some kind of mega fine. As far as Manchester City are concerned, that's very different. You've all heard that it's 115 counts to Everton's one. Here we're talking, if proven, we're talking about fraud. We're talking about false accounting. That's a completely different you know crime, so to speak, uh, than what Everton did. Mm. Everton. Uh, they surpassed the allowed losses by about 19 million. The allowed losses are 105 million over three years. Um, there's a bunch of costs that you can kind of strike off. And um, if they're considered virtuous costs, there's other costs associated with COVID where, you know, the, the you can kind of disallow those. So you have some flexibility. And as I understand it, based on what's been reported, it all comes down to uh, Everton considering certain types of expenses as allowable losses that don't count towards the total, um, the Premier League finding uh, differently. So it really is apples and oranges here. If you want to read this as the Premier League are willing to be tough with teams that break their rules, so if they find Chelsea and City uh, guilty, they'll be tough as well. Sure, uh, you can look at it that way. But these are very, very different uh, offenses for which you're being judged. Craig, I saw you taking notes. You, you got all that? <laughs> Squared away. <laughs> I, I was really pretty, possibly. <laughs> uh, Don, what are your Everton friends uh, saying about this? And do you think they can stay up even with the 10-point deduction? I do think they can stay up. Um, and uh, I put out a tweet last week, and this is why I love Everton so much, because I think when the news broke a couple of days ago, I think many fans uh, would have been distraught at the news where Everton fans now have rallied. Uh, they're coming together. They're trying to make a noise. They're trying to stand for their club. They feel very, very unlucky because what I must stress on top of exactly what Gab stated there, and he's right in terms of the money being £19 million over, there was no sport and merit gained. Everton are sort of doubling down on saying, listen, and I, and I think the authorities as well have signed that off to say, listen, there was no sport and merit. It was all stuff to do with um, things off the pitch that is beyond my pay grade. I understand, and I spoke to people on the ground this morning, but I wouldn't want to get myself into any trouble. Um, but I do think they can stay up. I think the form that they've been in, one, only one loss in five. What the Everton fans have said to me today and what my friend who works at the club said is they're going to try and turn Goodison into a bear pit. They're going to make it really hostile. They've got Man United on Sunday, so they're really expecting the Everton fans to be unbelievably noisy and ferocious and get behind their team. Why wouldn't they? They're in great form. They're in great spirit. So... If you're going to sort of half look at it with your, 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 your glass half full and you're taking the 10 points, you know, as it stands today, without an, there will be an appeal, but we're not sure what's going to happen. Everton are in really good form. And as Craig said there, all you've got to do now if you're Everton is get one more win on the board and you, you're at the bottom three or close to it and stick a couple of wins back to back and you're going to be clear again. The form that they've been in is great. The playing against the Man United side, that have been woeful the last couple of games. They won 1-0 against Fulham. They beat Luton 1-0, haven't been great. So it's going to be a great atmosphere and I think the Everton fans are going to get behind their club. If there's a season to uh, take a 10-point deduction, mm. it would be hard to argue that there's a better one to yep. do it in than this one, bearing in mind uh, the team's 
uh, that are down the bottom. So uh, we, we shall see how it all pans out. Everton then uh, docked 10 points. No punishment yet for City and Chelsea. They do bracket the top half of the Premier League. City in first, Chelsea in 10th. Next up for Manchester City, Liverpool. That's uh, next Saturday in Manchester. And it's the early kickoff, 12.30 local time. Something Jurgen Klopp is not very happy about. We had to get through this game, and we did. And we, the boys responded sensationally well. And now they're all gone again, and we come back, and we can train once and play City. Oh. And I, okay, we won, and I can, nobody can say Apple Moan, but it's how can you put the game like this on Saturday, 12:30? Honestly, the people who are, who are making these decisions—they are just—they they cannot feel football. It's just not possible. They must, if, if that's the, the, the moment where, you, where the world pays the most to see a football game, nobody has to tell us. I don't know if that's the case or not. I really don't know. But I think there would have been a moment where you could let these two teams who have altogether probably 30 international players, they all come back in the same plane, by the way. The South Americans sit on the same plane and fly back. We pick them up and then Uruguay, Brazil, Argentina, all Colombia, one game, one plane and then we arrive here, so it's really mad. You have to keep going with all the other teams until March, April, whatever. If you and if you are still there, and we can start talking. Until then, it's just fight yourself through the most difficult league in the world. Be ready on Thursday. Be ready on Sunday. Be ready on Thursday. And if the Premier League has the opportunity to do it, then be ready on 12.30 on Saturday, um, and then we, we do that. So that was after the game uh, Sunday against Brentford. Not the first time we've heard Klopp complain about kickoff times. What do you make of it? Boring. <laughs> he doesn't have a point? Look, well, Man City are kicking off at the same time because they're playing against him. Uh, <laughs> When's he want to play? Tuesday night? Sunday night? Sunday morning? Monday afternoon? When's he want to play? I know it's not an ideal. We don't live in an ideal world. And I know it seems Liverpool get a lot of these. And what he's saying is you won't see the quality game on Saturday 12.30 British time that you would see on Monday at 8pm British time because the players have had more rest. But this is, we're at the beck, we're at the beck and call of, of huge TV money, huge TV contracts, having to, you know, feed them and what works for the networks. And it, it kind of is where it is, I have to say. I'm looking forward to a 12.30 kickoff between, between these two on the Saturday. Isn't European football that following week as well? Um, listen, I... If, if uh, Jurgen Klopp, we've kind of gotten used to these complaints and, and for one thing or another, at one point in the season or, or an absolute or, or, or another. But to Craig's point, Man City kicking off at the same time. And while um, Liverpool are, are playing, what, on the Thursday night in, in Europe, City are playing, I'm not even sure which day, Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm, I'm sure they are happy for the earlier kickoff. Mm-hmm. They, they, would, they would have it. And, and, and so now, you know, it's... it's so do you push it back to the Saturday, 3 o'clock? Is that really going to make a difference rather than playing at 12.30 that you, you, you have the, the 3 o'clock kickoff or, or, or whatever it is? Um, th- that for me, I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't get. I'm, I'm, I'm not 
buying into that. All right, if there's anybody on this panel that's going to defend Jurgen Klopp, it is Don Hutchison. Don, what do you make of the comments from the Liverpool manager? I think he's absolutely spot on. I think the lads are way off the mark, I have to say. I mean, Jurgen Klopp says there he's got one day to, one day to train of his players. Pep Guardiola is going to have one day to train. He doesn't know his players. players. Where's well, he learning about his players, though, mm. is he? <laughs> well, no. But what, hang on, hang on. You know what it's like when you're prepping for a game. You're going to have no time to do any basic things like set plays. You kind of go through any patterns of play. You're going to have one day's training with guys that are flying all over the world to get back to Liverpool. Same for Pep, by the way. I mean, listen. On the, at three o'clock, I think Luton play Crystal Palace. That could have been an early kickoff. At five thirty, Brentford, London derby. They take on Arsenal. That could have been a 12.30 kickoff. And Liverpool, Liverpool, Man City could have played on the Sunday or the Monday. I think, it's, I think it's unbelievably harsh to watch Man City versus Liverpool that you want two teams to be fresh for. You want two managers to have, to have spent time with their players. You know, look at Man City's injury list. I mean, there's about nine of their players gone down in the last 24, 48 hours of injuries. Pep would love an extra day for them players to be fit again. Erlen Haaland, you know what it's like, Craig and Shaka. You've done fitness tests on the morning of a game, and so have I. And some mornings you've done a fitness test and you've gone, I just can't make it, boss. Another 24 oh, 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 hours, oh, oh, I might oh, have made oh, it. Hold oh, 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 on, Don. Yeah. Hold on. Hold, hold City are playing Leipzig on the 28th. The Tuesday. The Tuesday. No, no, on the Tuesday. The conversation. So, no, 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 it's the same conversation because no. either, we listen to, either we listen to Jurgen Klopp and complain about the 12.30 kickoff, or we push it to, to your point, Sunday night, and listen to, and listen to Pep Guardiola complain about how the, the, the league aren't supporting the teams playing in Europe. You've missed my point. Well, what you point you, your players. point was they could have pushed this game to the Sunday or Monday. Because, because it makes absolute sense, and it's about the 15th time, I think, that Liverpool have played at 12. So push it to Sunday or Monday, Liverpool and then biased. City play in yeah. Champions League. Oh, I'm not Liverpool biased, Shaq. Shaq, I'm not Liverpool biased, because what I'm also saying at the same time, that Guardiola's now got nine, eight or nine players down with injury, and we've all done fitness tests where they might not make it for the Liverpool game. Who wants to see that? I want to see Liverpool at their best. And I want to see Man City at their best. Let's let Gab uh, get a word in here. I saw you throw your hands up there, Gab. No, look, there's a very easy solution to this. I mean, nobody's actually mentioned this, but this has to do with the television contract and who has first choice uh, on what game each weekend uh, here here in the UK. And and guess what? Um, This television contract, the current deal, is coming to an end. They'll be signing a new, I think it's going to be four years this time. Um, But you know what? Uh, Jurgen Klopp can go see his boss, uh, Billy Hogan, who, because Liverpool are one of the 20 Premier League shareholders, when they can sit together, they're the ones who get to decide on what terms they go and sell the TV rights. And they can come up with a different way as early as next season or whenever the new contract kicks in. And you can come up with something. When, and maybe they'll call it the Hutchinson method, where, 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 where they split the difference between the next fixtures or whatever. This is only an issue, by the way, because Manchester City have already qualified so uh, in, in the Champions League. So they probably don't care so much about their midweek game. So we can look at this and say, oh, look, you know, they could all get an extra five hours rest and play uh, Saturday night. Or maybe even Sunday lunchtime. Who cares? Uh, you know, Pep Guardiola is going to send out Oscar, Bob, and, and the rest of the no-names. But you know what? Like, man, what if they hadn't qualified? There's no good way to do this um, unless you write it into the television contract. You say, this is the marquee game uh, in the Premier League, and we want special treatment. We want a different spotlight on it and whatever else. I mean, well, I had sympathy for him about the many 1230 kickoffs and that it's something they need to look at. But, you know, frankly, this one, 
it's written into the deal. This is the biggest fixture or one of the biggest fixtures in the Premier League calendar. Somebody's paid a lot of money for it. That money is the money that allow Luis Diaz and Mo Salah and all those guys to play for Liverpool and also plays Klopp's wages. If you want to negotiate something different, take it up with your boss and say, hey, let's take this into account when we sign those fat TV deals. You, you, Don, by your, by your reasoning, you want to put Luton Town v whoever it is in the 1230 <laughs> slot. I mean, that's just, that's just not going to happen. Well, it's just not going to, it's not going to happen, no, no. is it? No, right. no. I, what I'm saying is, I'm, ju- I'm just saying that from a player's point of view, when I talked about the 12.30 kickoff, and I alluded to all the, all the Man City players that are struggling out injured, I want to see Man City at their best take on Liverpool at their best. Yeah, but I they're playing in the Champions see, League, Don. They can't play in... <sighs> but what are, you, I, what, I just... what are you not grasping here? <laughs> they're playing in the what, Champions what League on Tuesday. This game on the Saturday, early on, gives both teams the most but amount of rest. It's but they, but when this, are you not listening to what Gav's just been talking about? Yes. They, when this fixture was announced, they yes, didn't know Manchester know City had qualified. What do you want to say? We know this. Let's change the fixtures now. Oh, no, no, Man City no, have qualified. This. We know this. All I'm saying is what Jurgen Klopp is saying is probably, I think, he's got a point. All right. No, no, no. Hold on. Hold on. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. What did he say no, no, before no. the show? What, what did he want? What did he want? Do they want more rest at one end or more rest at the other? Because you can't have it both ways. Right. Do you, do you not think then that I think off the top of my head, Liverpool have had a 12-30 kickoff about 14, 15 times. I think the next closest club I think might be Tottenham with six. Do you, mm. do you not think that's disproportionate? Well, what does that have to do with this? Well, it's because of the 12.30 kickoff, Shaq. It's another one for Liverpool. So it's, it's, not, it's not about the rest or the players being away. It's not, it's not the number of 12.30 kickoffs? Well, no, it's, it's, it's not. I mean, we're getting into semantics here. What I'm saying no, you, is... You raised it. You raised it. I didn't. Are you saying, I'm asking you I'm, what I'm, you're I'm saying. Standing, I'm standing by, in my humble opinion, I don't think this fixture should be 12.30. Mm. There it is. All right, we'll leave it well, there. I, 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 I have no idea when you think this fixture should be then, bearing in mind the fixture pile-up. Mm. Well, I mean, my God. It's January. I mean, the trouble is now, mm-hmm. Christmas this, in Vegas. this game is full of people who just want to make excuses. The most, there's never been more money. There's never been bigger pay. There's never been better facilities. Everything that goes with the game now. And it all comes through, the, as Gab said, through the huge TV contracts that are negotiated by the, the clubs and the networks and the Premier League. There is no ideal scenario. We don't have to sit and listen to these managers because if the game's on a Sunday, we're going to hear the same thing. Mm. Oh, we could have played Saturday because that would have given us more rest for the midweek. Just go and play, man, for God's sake. All right, uh, let's leave it there. We'll have plenty more build-up to Manchester City and Liverpool throughout the week over on our ESPN FC YouTube channel. Over 3.38 million subscribers. Make sure to uh, join the fun. Right now, a video on Rob da- from Rob Dawson and Mark Ogden where they rate the most expensive transfers for Manchester United in recent years. I believe the boys rated 31 players, but let's just check out their top 10. If it hadn't been for his little turnaround recently under Ten Hag, I would have said it was bad. He didn't have a, a very long spell in the Crystal Palace team, and then all of a sudden United swoop in with a £50 million bet, bid. Now, Aaron Wan-Bissaka is just not worth £50 million. Like I would put him in that average category, but again, you know, average bordering on bad. He had a good season last year. Obviously, there were questions about whether he could be you know, a centre-half in the Premier League. I think he answered those. I think the fee was 
relatively good value, the money that they paid to Ajax, given that we've talked about a load of bad and average transfers. I think at, at this at this time, it's a, it's a good transfer. Overpaid for him because Man City wanted him that summer. It just wasn't very good. You know, he used to play that run around and lost the ball quite a lot, didn't really bring anything to the table. So I'm being generous by calling him average. If you spend that amount of money on a midfielder, the assumption is that he's going to come in and be a regular starter every single week. But we're only a few months into the season and he's already struggling to get a game. And in terms of profile and fee, I think it's, it's an average deal right now. I'm going to put Bruno as great. Bruno is always fit, always there. Scores a lot of great goals, a lot of assists. So I don't think you can label him anything more than great considering what he's been surrounded by. Paid too much for him. Contract's way too long. He's never fit enough for a long period of time. Gets too many bookings. Fee was too high and United can't get rid. So I think average. Yeah, I, I like Haaland. I think plenty of goals in the Champions League. He's joint top scorer with Alvaro Morata, but all of his, despite scoring all of his goals, he's lost every game, but that's down to United, so the team itself. He's 20 years old, needs a lot of help, but I think he's been a real positive so far. As things stand, it's a shocker. You know, sums up United's recruitment in that he was billed as the answer to United's problems on the right wing when he signed, and he's a guy who wants to play on the left. You know, that's a very, very basic scouting error that you've signed a guy to play in a position that he doesn't really want to play in. It's a shocker, but I think he... A lot of that is, is not down to him. When he arrived, he wasn't in the best possible shape. But don't forget, he arrived just after missing a penalty in the Euro 2020 final, and that probably affected his, you know, his mindset as well. So I think there's been reasons why he's, he's not succeeded. But I just think United have let him down at times as well with the way that they've played him. You know, it's important to say at this point that the players don't decide their price tags. But he is the most expensive defender in the history of football and with it becomes a certain level of expectation. It, it did have an impact in his first couple of seasons and it just went bad the last 18 months. So I think the last 18 months have been bad, bordering on shocker. But I think generally overall he's, he's been average and I think he's, he's beginning to bounce back this season in the sense that he is becoming a bit of a leader again. So maybe losing the captaincy has, has put him on course to be average, which isn't saying a lot, but he's, that's where we're at. This is a player that was available from Ajax for around 40 to 50 million pounds earlier in a window. Yeah, I imagine Ajax were absolutely laughing um, when, they, when they got that final bid in. Again, still time for him to turn it around, but right now, judging on what we've seen at Old Trafford so far, shocking. All right, so there you have it. The uh, 10 most expensive transfers from Manchester United, and of the 10 of them, only one was rated great, Craig. And even that one kind of felt yeah. like a stretch? Well... Yeah, a little bit. I mean, he has had some really good... He's had some ups and downs. Would you say great for Bruno? No, I would put him in the good category. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but that, I, I see what Augie's saying in terms of... Relative to the other guys. The, yeah, he's relative, the best. Relative to the surroundings, yeah, yeah for sure. But I would, I would have him in the good, but it's hard to argue with... with the, I wonder if they like playing at 7.30, 12.30, <laughs> whenever it is. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, Shaka, your thoughts? Uh, I'm, I'm with Craig. Bruno, I'd, I'd agree. I, I think that's relative. If you're talking about great Manchester United signings or players, uh, I'm not sure that he gets into to the conversation at all. But you look at that list, and it, it really is is a stretch. I think Hoyland gets in it good just because of um, he's, he's just arrived, and you've seen glimpses, albeit not in the league. Um, Sandra Martinez, he's been again good. It, it's it's. This is, it just feels very relative mm. to who Manchester United are right now, as opposed to 
who you expect Manchester United to be. When you talk about great or good signings or even average signings, I'm not sure how many of these uh, get into those respective conversations. Don, not for lack of trying, they spent a lot of money, haven't they? Yeah, but I wonder what part Man United take a lot of blame for this because many people would take Casemiro. I think Pep wanted to sign Harry Maguire. I think Jaden Sancho ripped it up at Dortmund, so a lot of people would have fancied him. Anthony ripped it up the Champions League for Ajax and looked, you know, a really good player. So even though they haven't performed, and I agree with the list, by the way, and I agree with Craig in terms of Bruno, because I don't think he plays the position very well. His numbers aren't too bad. But at what point do Man United take, um, you know, take a sort of take a bit of a hit on this because they're not improving their players. So a proper coach like Guardiola or Eddie Howe, Jurgen Klopp, these guys improve players. So I think they take a lot of blame for it. Gab, what do you make of what Don says? That some of this is just us looking back at signings in hindsight. Well, but I mean, that's what you do, right? You you evaluate based on what you spent on on, on, on something. And you, I think the way to do it is, would you do it again? I mean, that's always the benchmark I use. And I actually kind of think, Rob and Augie kind of graded uh, on a curve there because uh, if you look at Casemiro uh, and what they paid for him and you ask, would you do it again knowing what you do now? I think the answer is no. Uh, Not at the time, but did he work out? I would say no. And I thought average was generous for him. Hoyland and Mount, I don't, I think those guys get incomplete because you can't judge them just yet. But um, certainly it, it, it does speak to I think the lack of clarity um, that, that's really governed United's transfer dealings of late. Gab, if you're saying it's on a curve, then who, who was the last great signing for Manchester United? Because we were kicking around um, pre-show, and it's hard to come up with a name. It's been a while. Well, I mean, I think Bruno Fernandes has been great. I, I know they, they paid a lot of money for him, but um, I don't think his, his numbers lie. And, and I think... I think it was Augie made a really good point about his uh, uh, about his durability. Um, so I would certainly put put Bruno uh, in that category. I, I'm sure there are others that are uh, are escaping me right now. Um, I think Roy Keane from Nottingham Forest is a very good signing. <laughs> I mean, it's been Sorry. a while. That's the point, though. It's been a while since they had a home run. When All Rene, the money spent to, to not have a home run. Wayne Rooney, Van Persie. I mean, I mean, David De Gea was great when he was when he was good. Okay. Started, started, you know, worked his way into the position, and then at the end, not so much. But for for the bulk of it, I'd put him down as a great. Fernandez slips out of the great for me because of his moaning. <laughs> and I don't like moaners. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I, know mo- I, know, I know a moaner when I see him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. wow. no, don't get started again. Wow. Whatever you do, don't get started again. Moans too much. The reaction of the panel tells you everything you need to know um, about that statement. Speaking of transfers, um, Plenty more discussion on what might be happening in the January transfer window on the next Gavin Jules show. With Gavin like Jules. And Jules uh, hopefully will be in the same room. That'll be on uh, Monday of next week. The boys uh, record every Monday and Thursday. Don't miss a single episode. Did you know less than 10% of Americans own an e-bike? Here's why that should change. Studies show e-bike owners actually end up exercising more, plus getting outside more. If you're looking for a balanced lifestyle and everyday adventures, you need to check out Electric e-bikes. They are the number one selling e-bike brand in America. Their bikes are typically foldable, pre-assembled and have serious range up to 150 miles on some models. 
Check them out today at electricebikes.com and add some more adventure to your week. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-S.com. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash FC. Just go to Indeed.com slash FC right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on the podcast. Indeed.com slash FC. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Let's get to some highlights from European qualifying action. Netherlands taking on Ireland. 11 minutes in, and the Dutch are going to strike first through Wout Weghurst, who goes on the solo run. Yes, you, you read that right. Wout Weghurst picks this ball up deep, runs into the Irish, just at the edge of the box, and then really good finish. Just before the hour mark, Ireland in search of an equalizer. They're going to get it. Adam Ida just over the line. But wait. VAR finds the offside. Uh, he's offside. Killing the game again, isn't it? As VAR means he's <laughs> getting all these decisions right. You know, as he's go back to, let's go back to the naked eye. Our uh, goalie there, very happy for uh, VAR. Somebody's happy. As uh, Netherlands holds on to win one nothing, big result for the Dutch. As that means they are through to next summer's European Championships, joining France as the two qualifiers out of Group B. Now, France had already qualified uh, before this game against Gibraltar, but that didn't stop them from putting on a show. Three minutes in, and you know, the lesson for Gibraltar is if you're playing France, definitely don't help out with an own goal. Yeah, Ethan Santos very early on, just kind of setting the stage of things to come. Marcus Thuram here makes it two. I mean, if we forget the way we're going to see Gibraltar, I want to go up very soon. 16th minute. Warren Zaire Emery here making history as the youngest ever goal scorer for France. Oh, yeah, but then had to get stretched off. I think that's the, the big blow, really, here for him. I mean, that is a crunch and tackle. Yep. Red car there for Santos. Didier Deschamps after the match saying he was uh, concerned there about the ankle injury. Oh, handball. To Zaire Emery. Yep, there it is. Uh, just before the half-hour mark, handball in the area. Kylian Mbappe steps up, and uh, you guessed it, 4 nothing. 34th minute. The uh, music tells you how you know how the rest of this highlight's going to go. Uh, Mbappe with the assist to Jonathan Klaus. Uh, and then two minutes after that, Kingsley Coman makes it six. Hope you had the over. And, and, oh, oh. Keep in mind, 36 minutes on the clock here. Yes, uh, 37 minutes on the clock here. Uh, Fafana scores. Oh boy. Uh, Comes out, pads out it. Just headed back in. It's yeah, difficult because he's just Lovely. The cool, uh, thing is, this was Gibraltar's number one goalkeeper. 8 nothing there from Rabio in the 63rd, 65th. That's Gibraltar's only goalkeeper. Oh man, uh, 73rd. Oh, this is. Dembele. This is football, but not. Football, but not as we know it. 
Uh, Keelan Mbappe against Gibraltar. That is an all-time mismatch, buddy. There it is, 11. Even the guys on the bench having a laugh. What you got to understand is all these goals are growing the game in Gibraltar. There you go. <laughs> another goal that's going to grow the game in Gibraltar. There it is. Mbappe from uh, three-point land. He crushes it. That's 12 in the 82nd minute, 89th minute. Olivier Giroud. Oh. That's 13, guys. Oh. 13. And they want one more in stoppage time. Giroud again. 14. Yeah, this one acrobatic. I mean, yeah. Yep. Ah, boy. Well, the old adage stands for no easy games in international football. Yes, <laughs> and uh, there are the expected goals for Gibraltar. Now, I'm not an advanced analytics guy, but 0.00, .00 <laughs> not in any way. Um, be good. Uh, Shaka, I didn't know that anybody on our panel would want to talk about this game, but uh, you no, bravely lifted your hand. No, what do you to, to discuss? I'm, I had it on, but it was just painful to watch, in, in, in all honesty. So why'd you keep watching? Uh, well, because they have all these TVs there, and they're on, but I... I I, I really don't know what to, what, what, what to make of it. You know, it, it you was, got any problem with France running up the score? I, on the one hand, um, listen, I know I, I don't believe in taking a foot off the gas, um, but uh, did it a sham making? And, and France is a very deep squad. I, I, I admit, but you're making changes that, that just kind of adding to, to Gibraltar's woes. Um, it, it, it was it was a tough watch. Mm. It was it was a tough watch. It, it, it doesn't reflect well at all for football. Do you ever play against Gibraltar? In your qualifying days? Uh, no. Uh, Boy, were they lucky, huh? Double your tally. Tell you what, I saw, international tally. I saw some things to worry me there in that Gibraltar. We, uh, come on, I mean, yeah. it's just embarrassing, isn't it? I mean, it's, you know, these guys are trying their best, but yeah. it's just such a gulf. And, you know, we keep hearing this growing the game nonsense. You know, there's nobody, no little kids walking around Gibraltar going, I want that to be me in, in <laughs> 10 years' time. I want to get out there and get a right shellacking from the oh. French and embarrass myself. That's what I want to do. Mm. No, it's just not happening. Only place you can go is up. That's the, uh, the good news there. For but the worrying is they're not. <laughs> not. Not at the moment. So that was in Group B. What about in Group I? Some big results uh, there. We had Romania, who were 2-1 winners over Israel. Switzerland, a 1-1 draw against Kosovo. What it means is Romania and Switzerland then get the top two spots uh, out of Group I for next summer's European Championship. This one was a friendly. Uh, Germany against Turkey. And uh, four minutes in, the Germans going to open the scoring through Kai Havertz. Kai Havertz, the starting wingback, I, I will add here. Um, for, for some really strange reason, started as, as, as left back and found himself in the box. Easy finish. 38th minute. Turkey on the attack, and they level it. Yeah, they got caught out with that ball in behind there. Leroy Zane, who's been superb for Bayern Munich this season, arguably the best player. So he's caught with the ball in behind. Gadioglu with the goal there. First half stoppage time. Yildiz and Turkey are up 2-1. Oh, oh, boy. Once again, a ball just over the top of the, of the wing back. This one come from the other side. And then, really nice finish, but it just it shows German deficiencies in, in that win-back area in particular. Germany striking back just after halftime. Nicholas Fulkrug to the near post. Yeah, he's got a couple recently for Dortmund, hasn't he? Big, powerful striker. Can he old-fashioned, can he play? 2-2, late in the second half. Ball into the German penalty area. We got a 
shout for a handball on Havertz. Yep, and just as he as he turns that trailing arm, just comes out. Referee has a look, makes a decision. But again, that comes from a set piece just over the top of, of, of Havertz. All of a sudden, Turkey back in front. Sorry, converting from the spot and Turkey. The 3-2 victory over Germany. Trouble, trouble for Julian Nagelsmann. Chaka, you had uh, a close eye on this one. What happened to the Germans? I, I thought between Havertz and, and Henriks, they, they were poor. That ball over the top was on all day long. Um, and, and Turkey, in, in, in all honesty, I, I thought were, were deserving of, of the win. They, they played really well, exploited those deficiencies. Rudiger and Tav really didn't make up a whole lot of ground in terms of cover. Um, the midfield felt a little bit more narrow than that. Of course, you have Sani in incredible form as, as a good outball, but Verts uh, kind of stayed more, more central. It, it, it just was, uh, a, a, again, an underwhelming performance from the Germans. And Havertz really in that, on that yes. side. Havertz played as a left-back. Mm. Are Arsenal in Germany just trying to go through all the positions where he's not very good? Mm. <laughs> or he can't play? Or, you know, what, what's the deal here? Did Arteta phone Nagelsmann and say, help me out here. I need to find a place in this Arsenal team for this guy. I mean, yeah. where the hell is he? Uh, what would you make of Germany? First, uh, first blemish under Julian Nagelsmann. Yeah, so, and, and by the way, Bob, first of all, big shout-out to Turkey, and this wasn't even full-strength Turkey. The, the guy you saw there, Kenan Yield is, you know, can't get a regular game for, for Juve, although he's very talented, um, and he goes out and, and, and does that. Look, I think if you hire a guy like Julian Nagelsmann, who does things differently, he's the kind of guy who says, I'm going to try these exotic things, I'm going to trial and error, but all of it takes time to work on the training pitch. You know, he's a club manager. And in international football, you don't always get the chance to do that. Um, so you are going to have games like this one. Throw in the fact that morale in Germany is pretty much at a low, that some of these players I don't think are very good. I'm not a full crew guy. And so you are going to find yourself in these situations. It's a long way to go. He's got to find a way to work. All I can say as a big Nagelsmann fan is before the Euros, he's going to have all the players there. They can do two-a-days for three weeks leading up to the Euros, and hopefully they'll come up with something coherent because uh, what we saw against Turkey was not something coherent. Uh, Don, you've already taken up some unpopular opinions uh, on this show. Do you want to defend Kai Havertz as a, as a left-back? No, impossible. <laughs> I mean, I look, at, I look at that 11, and I think it's very weak. I mean, when, even when you look at the two midfield players and you look at Joshua Kimmich and Gundogan, <clears throat> talented players, but not as a pair because they're very slow. If you play them in a three... Could be a great three. But even that left side with Florian Wirtz, who's an amazing young player, but light. And then you add Kai Havertz behind him in a strange position, who's not a defender. I can't see what Nagelsmann's trying there. Mm. All right, so there we have it. Uh, Germany 3-2 losers against Turkey. Speaking of German football, the Bundesliga back on ESPN Plus next week. Bayern Munich kicking things off on Friday as they visit Cologne. Of course, Bayern Munich, the defending champions, but not the league leaders. That distinction belongs to Bayer Leverkusen and their manager, Xabi Alonso. What a campaign. It's been undefeated across all competitions in 17 games. Some quick math. That's a plus 45 goal difference. Here's Xabi Alonso speaking about not just his managerial future, but the man many think he may replace at Real Madrid, Carlo Ancelotti. In terms of my management, Ancelotto is a master. 
so is a master. And when you talk about how you you want to to convince the players or how do you want that the players they have good relation with you, Ancelotti is the the master of of everyone. No, and I had the privilege to work with him in Madrid and in Bayern, and and that's uh, his one of his big. He's a football man, but he's like a great person to to deal with great personalities. If you want to be pushed to take others' decision, or you want to make your own decisions, and and so far I have clear that I will take my own decisions when I feel that it's the right moment for whatever. So uh, that's that's gonna happen for sure. I don't know when when that will come. When when I have the feeling, that my feeling is that right now is is here, and my my mind is 100% here. So I don't know when when that will happen, but. Uh, I am enjoying here, and we have many reasons to to be positive about the future. Right then, so here's a list of possible next managers for Real Madrid. Of course, uh, Xabi Alonso, they're one of the favorites. Disappointing not to see Steve Nichol uh, included based on some of the recent developments um, on this show. Gab Marcotti still with us. Gab, we had Gustavo Hoffman from ESPN Brazil on yesterday's show, and we were talking about the idea that now in Brazil, People are starting to not expect that Ancelotti might not come, but at least worry about that. Is there any chance that Ancelotti actually stays at Real Madrid, despite all this talk of him leaving? Well, look, his contract expires in June, right? Um, and as of right now, there's been no talk, no intention on the part of, uh, of the club to, to extend his contract. So I think in the minds of, of many, um, this is a done deal. Now, if they go on a run, if Florentino says, oh, I can't find anybody better, uh, Carletto, please stay with us. You know, if they win another Champions League, if they talk at the, the heartstrings, I mean, Carletto's a big, uh, he's a big emotional teddy bear. Um, I'm sure there is a good chance that he'll stay if he's offered a new contract. But if he's not offered a new contract, uh, he's going to look elsewhere. Every indication is that Real Madrid are going to make this generational change. He brought in all the younger players. You know, it's time to, to, to move on, to write a new chapter. And so I would expect they would go with not not just a different manager, but probably a younger manager is going to bring something different. And obviously, Xabi Alonso uh, is going to be in that mix for all those names there. Um, you know, I find some like Raul and Guti probably more plausible than others like like Mourinho or, or, or Klopp or, or indeed the return of Zinedine Zidane. Mm. Okay, some big names there. A big job in the Brazil job. You think... If you're Ancelotti, you're looking at this Brazil job, it's maybe not quite what it was a few months ago. In what sense? That Neymar is... Well, they lost their last two games. Neymar's injured. Well, look, I don't think Carlo Ancelotti has ever ducked a challenge. If you look at the clubs that he's managed, yeah, they're big clubs, but they're all high-pressured. So I think he'll probably see it as a challenge in something to top off his career as a manager on his resume, managing arguably the most iconic country when it comes to World Cup. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be difficult. And they're obviously going outside of Brazil for a coach for a very good reason for the first time because they're getting frustrated. Mm. Uh, but I certainly hope, I, I hope he, I think, I agree with Gab, I think Real Madrid for sure are going to look to move on. And, you know, that, that ship... It's definitely sailing in the, the, the direction away from Ancelotti. And I think Brazil was just a great challenge for him. And, you know, the, without the day-to-day -day rigors and the pressures of managing how, where he is and where he has, 
I, I, I hope he goes down there and, and it's going to make the Brazil, watching Brazil, even more interesting than it is now, just to see if he can make a bigger impact than some of these great Brazilian coaches in recent years that promised so much and it's all sort of fell flat uh, in the big tournament. So ho hopefully he takes that job and, and it'll be an interesting watch. All right. Uh, speaking of national teams that may soon be in the market for a new manager, I regret to inform you we're going to have to do some CONCACAF highlights here. Mexico against Honduras. First leg of the CONCACAF Nations League quarterfinals. Did Mexico just changed the manager not too long ago. Uh, they did. They're on right now their third manager in the last 12 months, and things are not going great. Is that not kind of telling you, though, that their players are gubbins? Uh, could be. Uh, 30 minutes into the game, Honduras take the lead through Choco Lozano. Yeah, Luis Palma with the ball. I, I really don't know what Mexico are doing defensively. They're all at sea. And then for the second goal, midway through the second half, again, Antuna gets his ball back to goal, defenders around him, look how easy he turns and, and finds the finish. Brian Rochez there with the uh, second goal for Honduras as they win the first leg 2-0. There you see the cover of Cancha, Patetico. Uh, Craig, can you translate that for me quickly? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even I know what that is. Gobbins. Pathetic. Yeah. Uh, Gobbins. Uh, Shaka, you know CONCACAF like the back of your hand. Talk me off the ledge here. Things are okay, right? Mexico's not going to miss the Copa America. No, Mexico will qualify. I, I, I'm, 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 you, you'll be all right. Mexico will always find a way to make it somehow mm. or the other. But you they say they'll be all right. That sounds like somebody that hey, didn't watch the full game last night. Do they want to qualify? No. I mean, they're horrible. They, they are horrible. But, but let, let's be honest. You now have to go back home, win 3-0. I think you could do that. Even so, you then have a playoff. I, I, I think... You think the Mexico that I, lost 2-0 last night and could hardly create a chance is going gonna, is gonna to score three at Azteca? Listen, I'm, it, I'm just saying... I'm just saying... I will, I will guarantee you, Seth, uh, that Mexico, guarantee. Mexico will qualify for the Copa America either by, by beating Honduras... Or in, in the, in the one-off playoff to come. Mm -hmm. they, they qualify. That doesn't change the fact that this is a desperately poor, by their standards, Mexico national team. What happens at Copa America, at this point, is anybody's guess. And that guess probably isn't, isn't very good. But in terms of qualifying, mm -hmm. I think Mexico get there. I, I'm just sitting back and I'm actually giving myself a talking to here. Mm -hmm. Because I actually just got involved in that CONCACAF segment. <laughs> and then I realised I got involved. And I just went, I withdrew. <laughs> and then I had a harsh word with myself. Yes, yes. Uh, Sebi, Sebi is on a ledge, by the way. Yeah. I, I came in early and Sebi was on a ledge. I had a pull his back of his So chair. what ledge? What, I mean, I, I want to use a different terminology here. <laughs> what is frustrating you more? Because I can't figure this out. Yeah. Mexico uh, or the U.S.? I mean, no, it's make Mexico. It's I mean, I would why, would, why would you be frustrated about the U.S.? The U.S. is up 3 nothing going into their second leg. They're cruising. I mean, it's a very... very U.S. has loads of players all I over don't the world. Mean, Those players, when they come back to the national team, don't actually mean, perform on the Mexican players. I don't mean like Trinidad players. and Tobago. I can get my slippers on. Okay. Steady, steady. I'm talking about as a generalization. Right. No, I'm, I'm much more frustrated with Mexico. I, I can't believe... How bad? And I've done it again. I've got involved in How the bad. segment. Uh, he, he's, uh, what did I tell it. you, Shaka? I, I told you this. It's not, it's not that the, the best players from Mexico come to the national team and don't play well. They actively hurt the national team. The, the, the best players are the worst when they play for the national team. <laughs> Talk to the hand. Talk to the hand. <laughs> Talk to the hand. You were looking at me and yeah, I was feigning absolutely no interest yeah. whatsoever.
Left knee tendinopathy. Uh, Craig, you'll know this well. It's a form of overuse. Yeah. Uh, McKinney played all 90 minutes uh, in the first leg, but will now miss the second leg in Port of Spain. So it's nothing on serious. Monday. So you're trying to be, go have a chat. Uh, those it's were your words. He, never, not he, mine. Didn't, he didn't go off the field in the stretcher. Did he? He's not. He's not in hospital. He's okay. He's got a wee bit of tendinitis in there. Yeah, overuse. A, bit, a little overuse. bit of a rub with some cotton wool. You know, that's that we need. And he'll be fine. <laughs> Talking about cotton wool. Yes, hey, come on now, come on now. It's a special edition of Football Americas uh, late Monday uh, after the final whistle of the second leg between the United States and Trinidad and Tobago. Casey Keller will be joining us live. Uh, should be on around 11 p.m. Eastern time on Monday. Oh, I'll be in my bed then. Uh, if you're in bed, you'll miss us talking about, among other things, the Under-17 World Cup, Craig, which I know you're big on. The U.S. losing 3-0 to France in the group phase finale, but the U.S. still finishing second in the group. They're going to face Germany in the round of 16 on Tuesday. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And... Boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. What's worried me here that the two boys have popped up on the screen again? Oh, uh, because you know what that means. Well, there's more to come, baby. There's more to come. <laughs> now, usually this is the... Uh, now, this is Saturday. It's international week. There's not a lot going on. What? Exactly. That's why we're mixing things up. This is usually the part of the show where... When we finish, we say goodbye. I would toss to the end and we'd kick off extra time. But we want to do something a little bit different today. We wanted to take questions from, not the viewers, but something that I know, Craig, you will very much love. Oh. Our own production crew. We haven't got As questions. <laughs> yes, we do. I've they're, got they're logic, the camera our, right I've now. logic questions for our production crew. I, I bet usually you do. it surrounds graphics. Okay, just steady. <laughs> Find the questions. Find the questions, Seb. Find the questions. Here they are. All right, uh, these are from the production staff. The first one coming from Ale. I don't think that's Ale Moreno. Um, Harry Kane and Erling Haaland each have exactly 48 goals and 11 assists in 2023 across all competitions. Who has had the better year? Craig? In 2023? In 2023. Well, it's easy, isn't it? It's the guy that, that won the Premier League and the Champions League. Okay. Oh. Yeah. He's not going to the Euros, though. 
Well, he's probably going to uh, the Maldives. Or... <laughs> Neither of them are going to the Euros in 2023, I'm sure. Well, I can recommend the Seychelles, you know. Yeah. Shaka, you agree? Yeah. Yeah. Gab, you agree? I'm actually going to go Kane uh, for the simple reason that, look, I mean, we're talking about phenomenal players and, and, and whatnot, but Harry Kane can't control the team that he's on. And when he was on a worse team last year, they didn't go and they didn't win the Champions League, funny enough, or the Premier League. I think Erling Haaland had some, he's had some dry spells. Uh, he, he wasn't necessarily the protagonist you expected him to be in the Champions League final. So, you know, we really are splitting hairs here, but I would argue that Harry Kane is much closer to his ceiling, put it that way, in 2023 than Erling Haaland is. I think there's a lot more to come from Erling Haaland. Don, last vote to you. Haaland or Kane for 2023? That's a shock. Gab going a little bit left field. It's Haaland, man. He's just off the back of a treble. <laughs> Come on, oh. yes, Gab. Of course it's good. By the way, Come let's, on. let's pick on Gab. Calvin Phillips won a treble, too. Why don't you say, why, why don't you ask me? He's not on the list. He's not on the list. Exactly. Otherwise, it'd be Calvin Phillips. I've got a question for you. Mm. Is this... Is this actually extra time? This is in lieu of extra time, yes. Don't worry. What? Is extra time happening tonight? No. Oh. This is in lieu of extra time. Because I never, the sting never came in. Oh, carry on then. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, which, ooh, I like this one. Which player that you played with had the most unrealized potential? That question is from Vitor. The other one was not from Ale Moreno. It was from Ale Berry, a key part of our research team. So player with Unre the most... Unrealized? Unrealized potential, yeah. I'm going to tell you one. Ooh. And he did realise his potential to an extent late in his career at Celtic. But Lubomir Moravchik was, I believe, when Joseph, Joseph Venglos, his countryman, signed him for Celtic when I was there, was playing at the time in the German second division for Duisburg. Uh, for some reason. Uh, this guy had as much talent is any player I ever played with. You couldn't tell if he was right-footed, left-footed, scored unbelievable goals, could see passes, and Celtic fans to this day absolutely love him. Could have played anywhere, in any league, in any country, and had success, which makes me wonder why he was where he was until so late in his career. It's mm. a good one, Shaka. Um, there, there are a few that come, come to mind. Uh, Yossi Benayoun at West Ham, who I, I thought was in the best passes of the football I'd seen. I think Joe Cole at West Ham was, was simply outstanding, but then going to the, to the more structured Chelsea just didn't save him well. And in Toronto Tobago terms, I played with, with a young man called Arnold Dworica, who uh, was every bit as talented as, as, or not every bit, but close enough to a Russell Latipi or, or just outside of, of Dwight York's level, but just never seemed to, to hit the heights that, that they did. Mm. Don, unrealized potential. Who stands out from your career? Tricky one. Um, I'll go back to my early days at West Ham in the 94-95 season, and I played with two lads. One was John Monker, who was brilliant. But another lad, I think he's living out in the US now, uh, Ian Bishop. Yep. And I wouldn't say yes. unrealized potential, but if he was playing today, he'd be easy over 100 million quid. Mm. Left foot, right foot, talented, easy on the ball, never panic, silky player. Yeah, I'd, I'd say Bish. Next question comes from Gigi. Thoughts on Emma Hayes coaching the U.S. women's national team. Uh, anybody who's watched Football Americas knows I'm thrilled about it. Gab, what are they saying over in England about the 
Chelsea manager leaving for the U.S. job. Well, it's funny. There was a, there was a big story over here in one of the papers about how um, one of the, the two co-sporting directors at Chelsea was, uh, uh, was kind of given a rap on the knuckles for letting Emma Hayes slip away. He was supposed to renegotiate her contract and then he didn't do it quickly enough or whatever. Couldn't reach a deal. And of course, now she's gone. I don't buy any of that. I think, you know, she'd been at Chelsea for what, 10 years? She, she, she's won just about everything except for the Champions League. And they'll have a go at that this year. Um, although they'll need some better officiating than they got against uh, Real Madrid in midweek. But um, I think this is a woman who's making a lifestyle choice and says, I want to go and win the World Cup. I want to test myself. Been there, done that in the Women's Super League. Time to move on. But um, I, I've had the privilege of, of spending a little bit of time with her. I, I, I just think she's, she's just one of the brightest people, um, I think, managing in football. What's your thoughts on it, Mr. Pessimistic? I love it. I said before they hired her that she was the best candidate, period, anywhere in the world for the job. So home run, smash hit for U.S. soccer, which That's is confident. rarely said and definitely for well, So did, did you just take credit for Emma Hayes' hiring? She did work at ESPN I'm just shortly asking. before just being me. hired by U.S. soccer, which makes me think, who was the last general manager of the women's not, national I mean, team? Oh, that was Kate Markgraf, who was you're hired. Not a, after working at ESPN. Who was the last general manager of the men's team? Oh, that was Brian McBride, hired after working at ESPN. We're the academy, basically, for U.S. soccer. You're welcome. So you're saying I'm going to get hired? Well, that's a... Now that's a... That's another Is that what you're to say? You're a gem buried deep in our academy. I mean, I could go in there and sort it all out in a heartbeat. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you could help. Um, all right. You're very confident about that, because yeah. you really yes. gave off some sound bites there. Yeah, no, she's... yeah. I was really can't do better. You, you could not have done better. What is your favorite moment in studio during your ESPN career? Putting a box over my head. <laughs> when was that? What was oh, yeah, the cause of it? Long time still, ago. I was still in England. Tommy Smith used to do his top 25, mm-hmm. but Shaka only does 10 because he's, he's lazy. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy, proper, proper broadcaster, 25, Bosch. All right, 15 of them were garbage. There you go. <laughs> And Pete, who's producing tonight, was shouting at me. I was in London, and the old uh, uh, Hammersmith. No, it was it was the IMG Glow Point at Chiswick, which I'm sure Gab's been in as well at some point. Uh, That's the facility that you guys were at, yeah. It was a, it was a, it was basically a broom cupboard, and I'm in there, and Tommy's doing his top twenty. And twenty-five, and twenty-four, and twenty. I'm thinking I've never even heard of these teams. <laughs> When's this going to end, right? I just want paid and going home. I've got two hours to drive up, right? And Pete's shouting in my ear, react, react to Tommy's top 25. And I'm like, react. So I'm looking around the room, like, he sees this box with tapes up, and I just empty it. And I just put it on my head. And, uh, and guess what? It got me the gig. There you go. <laughs> you don't have to do much here to get the gig. Put a box in your head. Before you know it, you're in the studio. How lucky are we, Shaka? Oh. Do you remember that? I, I, I was on the show for that. Yes, I do remember that very well. Sign them. That's what they said. Sign up. Sign up. There's a box they were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they got me. Somebody was, somebody was at JFK looking for a guy coming out with a box in his head. And I walked up. All right, so that one was from Isabel. Mamadou right. provides our next question. If you had... Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, Producer Pete wants everybody's... Ah! Uh, Shaka, what's your favorite moment? You always get the cakes. You always get the best birthday. I got good cakes. Like, yeah. yeah. But you know, I, you know, I really enjoyed being here when Trent Tobago beat US. Oh, oh yes. Oh, oh you that. rubbed it in. Oh, I did. 
Were you, I, on, I, were you on night of? Yes. Because I, I, I think I was on the next day because I flew back. I was in Trinidad after the game, and you were definitely on the next day. I, I think I was on. I was on. Night of? I, I was on. Both. Yeah, both. Because you remember it was the rain and all yeah. the shenanigans with that, which just drove me mad. Yeah, so basically the day before, for those that don't remember, there was water on the field where everybody was training, where they were going to play the game, and images came out from the U.S. soccer account of the players like kind of having a laugh yeah. at it, being carried over the water. Yeah. Oh, the field's a disaster. So, uh, And you and a lot of people, actually, to be fair, Trinidad and Tobago didn't take well to that. No, it didn't. I don't know if that was the motivation, but... I, because, shock horror, it, it rained during rainy season yes. in Trinidad and Tobago. And that seemed to, to, to catch everybody by, by surprise. I'm not really sure why. And, and er, everything about it, the, 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 um, the, the pre-game press conference and, and, and everything with Bruce Arena, it was just everything about it, I, I thought, was just demeaning. Mm. And, and so when we won, and you don't qualify... I, I was thrilled. Thrilled. <laughs> thrilled you were. All right, uh, Gab, what about you? You've been on the show for a long time. What's your favorite uh, ESPN FC memory? Well, um, other than would be losing memory is the fact that discovering that um, Stuart Robson, uh, when, when we had our, our race in Madrid, our rowing race, uh, <laughs> Robo, for all his three herbs at home and everything, actually lost to uh, Steve Nichol. And obviously, I was in Robo's boat. Um, he had the uh, somewhat more petite Dan Thomas in with him, but still, it's Robo against against Stevie. And, and I just his expression afterwards, he just could not believe it. I I think he was so angry that he went back to the hotel and herbed for three hours straight after that. Um, you know, and I think, I think to this day he wants a rematch. Robbo. It, it, it doesn't surprise me Robbo's competitive. He never got hard enough time for that, really. Been losing to Nico on our own. Yeah. But Stevie <laughs> would tell you he was like a master of the rowing machine back in the day, he wasn't he? That was his big. <laughs> he wouldn't know what a rowing machine looked like. <laughs> um, Don, you've had some great moments here on ESPN FC. Yeah, Gabs, I don't think will be topped. I, I find that funny every single time I see that clip. It's amazing. Um, doing some kip ups to Craig in the studio, but I think uh, one comes to mind where I've had like a million and one internet problems over the years, and I can't remember who was hosting the night. And I said, right, I've just spent a thousand pound. The guy's being round. He's got wires everywhere. I've got internet connection. I've got it in the garage. It's a different part of the house. And then I can't remember who was hosting. They went, well, how's it tonight? And literally, as he said that, it went down. <laughs> and everyone around the world was on. In, was tweeting me saying, oh, it's a wind-up, it's a great one. It wasn't a wind-up, it was genuine. So it was like you couldn't have timed it any better. Uh, it was Dan Thomas that was the uh, host that was day, it? I'm told by the producer. <sighs> Ooh, a different, question, different type of question here oh, from Mamadou. Very serious. If you had to pick one player to mentor, who would it be? Player to mentor. Mm. Don, you you strike me as the mentor type. Who would you mentor? Jaden Sancho. Oh, good shot. I think I'd get in his ear, and I, and I think I'd have a word with him, and I'd put an arm around him, and I'd tell him to go and apologise to the boss, um, because there's the brilliant young player in there, and I hate seeing youngsters struggle. Um, I hate it because you know we've all had off the field problems when you're young. You think you know everything. I, I was there myself when I was at Liverpool, and I was just a normal lad come from a normal place in the northeast and you're playing for a gigantic football club but you're still I was still trying to live my lifestyle in that culture where you were you know playing hard but going out hard at the same time and partying a little bit too much 
Um, so I think I'd, I think I'd, I think I'd put an arm around Jaden Sancho, give him a little cuddle, tell him, you know, tell him he's a great player because he is, and to just bury whatever problems he's got because not playing is the worst thing. And and I can only imagine because of my past experiences, I'm pretty sure the lads might agree as well. When you're not playing, it hurts you even more. So every day he's not playing and every day he's not training with the first team, he's actually going to feel worse about himself and it's just going to deteriorate all the time. So, yeah, Jaden. Well, he could do something about it, couldn't he, really? To be honest. I don't know, it feels like he's kind of buried. Like, Ten Hag's, Ten Hag's kind of buried him. Well, he's burying himself as well, isn't he? He's dug the hole. He dug the hole on Ten Hag. I'll, I'll tell you who I'd like to mentor. Mm. <laughs> Why am I laughing before the answer? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm being serious. Yeah. Jude Bellingham. And what would you tell Jude Bellingham? What? This is the easiest, because this mm. is because I'm I'm, I'm a highly paid mentor. Yeah. Right? And this is the easiest job in the world. Right? I just go up in the morning. Just tell him he's very good. <laughs> and then I go down the pub for the rest of the day. Keep doing what you're doing, mate. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's the best, greatest job in the world. Uh, Every morning, just go in and go, oh, God. you're the best. Straight to the golf, down the pub. Yeah. Fantastic. What a mentor, what a Jacko. What a, what a mentor. Huh? That's all wow. he needs. That's all he needs. Just to... Listen, I've got a PhD in this. Yeah, yeah. In the pub. I've got a PhD. <laughs> yeah, which part <laughs> of the pub? <laughs> PhD and going down the pub, yeah. Yeah, who would you mentor? Oh, God. Your um, wise ways. <sighs> It's a, it's a good question. I mean, I, I think somebody who I've given him a shout out before, but I've just fasted in my mind. I have never met this guy, but I'm excited by him because he's just from just down the road from you guys in, in Norwalk, Connecticut. And it's Luca Coliosho. And the reason I would mentor this guy wow. is that he's one of those guys who's eligible for the U.S., for Canada, for Nigeria, for Italy, even yeah. though he... Uh, he Grew up in Spain, and you know what? He he chose Italy, so he made the wise he made the wise choice. I find him a really exciting player. And sorry, it's a boring answer, but yeah, I I enjoy watching this guy play. That is, sorry, that is not a boring answer. A lot of American fans were very excited to hear uh, Luca Coliosha. Good player. Yeah, he is a good player. And Greg Berhalter has talked about him uh, in a couple of recent interviews, and he's. He's not said like he's coming to play for the United States, but I think you would describe Berhalter's comments as cautiously optimistic. Oh, so could, could be landing another big player there. In the oh, I'll tell you what, I'll sleep tonight. Shaka, um, who would you what like to that? What's that? Five things that people didn't need to know, yes. and that was straight in, number one in the chat. Okay. Right. Now, <laughs> Gab gave you the reason why and you went down, down some sort of US Greg Berhalter spiel that I really did and it really ate into my Greg does <laughs> not want to mentor Luca Collio show I told you I'm mentoring Jude Billingham yes uh, Shaka um, the only name that comes to mind and I probably missed out at this point I, I think Zach Stefan is I, I thought one of the most talented goalkeepers that the U.S. has produced and, and I, I thought the City move and everything that happened uh, as a result um, kind of took away from from what, what I thought would have been an outstanding career for him. Could be a path back now that uh, Matt Turner's on the bench so maybe there's a uh, so pass, 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 very young. Pass, 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 pass back where? 
It could be a, a path back path to where? Back to the starting job for the U.S. Oh, for God's sake! He's what? turned it round to the U.S. again. <laughs> <laughs> what other world is Zach Steffen relevant? Yeah, right? help oh, me. Is this a Middlesbrough show? What do I mean, right, I've always keep a little red tablet in my pocket All for right. moments like this. <laughs> I'm getting that out. There it is. <laughs> Just keep it. If you didn't like that question, you're not going to like the last one. From Jack. <sighs> Seb, what was your worst ever bad beat in soccer betting? Uh, I guess as the, as the folks in production know, I like to uh, bad beat to wager a little bit. It's Can't do that now. Uh, you can do it less. Rules, regulations. There are rules. Laws. There are regulations. Rules. We don't need to get too far into them. Uh, I don't. I just, just don't do it. Don, apparently you don't know what a bad beat is. It's it's when no. you're close to a win on your bet, but then it, it kind of all falls oh, apart. Oh, Yeah. Um, I had a really good parlay that hit today. Big, a big three-leg parlay. Go on. Didn't involve, tell me it didn't involve. Go on, just tell me. Uh, so we had Latvia plus three and a half goals against Croatia. They went down 2-0 in the first 15 minutes. I was worried, but it was okay. They, they got the job done. I think the game ended 2-0. All right. We had over one and a half goals in uh, the Wales game. Wales was playing Armenia, and that one finished 1-1. Disappointing result for Wales, but got over the one and a half goals for your boy. Okay. And then we also had the over one and a half in Switzerland-Kosovo. And uh, you smash all those together, and it was a nice little parlay payout on, uh, on this Saturday for that's, Seb. That's not a bad that beat. That was a good beat. That's a good, um, that's a, that's a good yeah. beat. I've had some bad beats. I had one during the Gold Cup where I had like a, a really high under. So I had under like four and a half, and it was one nothing with like 10 minutes to go, and there was, you know, now you have so much ex, like added time. Right. So there was like four goals in the last 13 minutes. Um, and I went over. Uh, God, I tell, you, I, I tell you what, I'd love to set up a bar with you. <laughs> oh, it's like that guy in America that always wants to talk about his fantasy football team. Not, oh, not like, you know, when you, if you popped up at the bar, you'd be like that, wouldn't you? You're like, I bet people do, do that you know the you? only person... I bet people the, do that to you. The only person on this show, in the studio, I should say, not on this show, because Don and I have, have uh, hung out. The only person in the studio that's ever actually sat next to me at a bar, you know who it is? Who? Craig Burley. He's all talk, dude. He is Craig. all talk. And who paid for uh, Craig Burley. And who paid for my ride home that night? Who paid for your river? Craig Burley. Who paid for your drinks? I pulled who the old, paid I, for your food? I pulled the old, forgot my wallet, you. phone died. The, the old double whammy, what a moment that was. Listen, you, you pull up at, at any random bar in Connecticut, chances are you're going to be next to Craig. I mean, yeah, it's, those are your words. It's not a difficult find. No, no. All right, that'll do it for this edition of ESPNFC. Thanks to uh, Gab, John, Shaka, and Craig. And uh, we'll see you on Sunday for the next edition of the show. Be sure to join us. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is to not search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, 
the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash FC. Just go to Indeed.com slash FC right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash FC. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 